Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 10, 11, and 12 uh, this morning. And I got to join you guys Wednesday for, for the city. I've never seen anything like that. It was amazing, and I got my steps in that day. Uh, when you're a senior adult, they pay you on Medicare to get in 5,000 steps a day. I had it by 10 o'clock in the morning, so I greatly appreciate that. But, but in reality, you cannot even begin to imagine the impact that you have with what you do whenever y'all do for the city. And in fact, I had to go to San Antonio this weekend. I, had, I buried my good friend, uh, Chief Master Sergeant G.W. Bandy, and we did his funeral yesterday. And when he got to the certain point of the funeral, they do these now, you know, I'm sure it's this way here in, Green, in Greenville, uh, but we have to have a, 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 the photos and the music, and it's really neat. I love it to watch because I can learn so much about people. And I already knew GW's life very well. But he had music playing with it that played through all the photos. Usually they have two different songs or three different songs. And GW picked, he wrote his whole funeral before any of us got there. And so each one of us had our assignments of what we were supposed to do. But the song that he picked was one you guys are a little bit familiar with. I can only imagine. And we listened to it. And I heard the song from a whole new way than I've ever heard it before. Sitting there in San Antonio, having the privilege of being your interim for a little bit here in Greenville, knowing the story that's behind here in Greenville and the song, I can only imagine. But Joel, you don't know the impact that y'all's team had in that music even to this day. And what it meant to the family. And so I was thinking about when y'all were talking about for the city, even though you're around, you don't always know the impact you're going to have. Christianity does impact people in powerful ways when you show them love. And so I had just kind of freshly reminded of that. Now we're getting into what this is all about in Ephesians 6 now. We're about to stand firm, but we're going to lay a foundation before we really get into stand firm. But this stand firm is important. One of my good friends tomorrow will ride his bike four hours for the 3,000th day in a row. He's, 60, he's in his 60s. He rides his bike every day for four hours. He's a professor. And so that's 8.2 years. Now, he's single. He is never married. He has no kids. So that does help him have time to do some of the stuff he wants to do. But he is the most amazing example of, of perseverance I've ever known in my life. I've had him speak a couple times and share his understanding. But he posted this week, I was talking with him when I was in, going down to San Antonio to see if he was going to be at the funeral. And I, 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 one of his posts this week said this, Diligence most of the time is not diligence. Diligence, most of the time, is not diligence. And endurance, up to a point, is not endurance. Those are two very profound thoughts. I've always noticed, for those of you who like to diet a lot, just to try to get the weight down, have you noticed that in the morning when you eat breakfast, it's easy? Have you noticed when you get to lunch, it's still not too hard? Have you noticed about 4 or 5 o'clock, suddenly everything starts looking better? And by the evening time, you can eat anything and everything that's in the house. You'll eat the whole bag of Oreos, a half gallon of Bluebell, 
and then next day, let's start over. You know what I've learned over the years? The longer we go through the day, the tireder we get, the more our weaknesses are become a little more profound. And so a lot of times we know we're supposed to stand firm, and we do that, but you stand firm always. And that's what the next few weeks are going to be about. And you and I have the ability to do that. Diligence is all the time, and endurance is all the time. So stand with me, because we're going to talk about the struggle, though, is real. The struggle to be what God's called us to be. We're going up against great forces. And here's what it says in verse 10 as you follow in your Bibles. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We did that last week. I remind you again, you make a decision. You're standing strong. God's given you everything. Now, your job is to stand strong. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're going to focus on that today on verses 11 and 12. Join with me as we pray. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege and honor that you have given us to be able to gather here at Ridgecrest today. And I know a lot of people are are tired. It's been a long week of ministry, but we thank you for the privilege that they've been able to impact and influence in a good way across this city. And so give us the strength as we go through today to be able to reflect and to think and to come to even a greater understanding of all that you've done for us and what we're fighting against, and what we're standing firm against. So, Father, teach us this day is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, again, I know they said you're tired, so if you want to take a nap while I'm preaching, you won't bother me. I've had it done before, so I'm used to it. And so we'll do that. If I fall asleep, I didn't get into from San Antonio until late in the night. We got stuck on the freeway for two solid hours without moving uh, because of a wreck. My fourth grade granddaughter said, Pops, can we just go somewhere? I said, if I could get off the freeway, we would. But we had to sit there, so we didn't get into late. So I'm dragging like some of you may be today. But you know what? I found going to church on Sunday when I'm tired. It's the best place in the world I can be. It's amazing when I go home afterwards, I feel good. I feel a little bit stronger than I did when I started the morning. All right, let's talk about this. You already know this, but I'll bring it home to you. The schemes of Satan are real. There is evil out there. And they are real. And Paul said this, we're not ignorant of his schemes. Now we know what Satan is about. He is, the, he is a murderer. He is the father of lies. Jesus tells us that. And it's a very, very real thing. And if you live long enough, you're going to see times that you have seen evil. And it's, it's, it's horrific. I pastored a military church for 30 years. My men have sat and talked with me when I'm counseling and some PTSD they've been through and stuff they've seen is pure evil. This is real. We don't always see it on a regular basis. We may see it in the news. We may see it from a distance. But as believers, we need to know something. Our struggle is against Satan and the schemes in which he brings against us. Now, Paul says we're not ignorant of his, of his schemes. But sometimes you and I are sitting there going, okay, I know that, but what are they? Well, you know one of the things you can do sometimes, and I'm going to do it real quickly, and it'll be fast as I go through this, but just go through all the passages, talk about the impact Satan has throughout the Bible. So let's go Eve in the garden. What did he do? He deceived her. He deceived her badly, and she ate of the fruit of the tree. He's very good at the deception. He is a liar. That's what he's about. Has God said, implying God had not said certain things, and it led her astray, and she fell. 
we have when David went to number Israel that Satan stood against Israel and moved David to number Israel, which he was not supposed to do. So even the great man of David was influenced greatly by Satan to do something that cost him and led to the death of some people before it was over with. And you know the famous story in Job, whenever Satan came against Job and the Lord said to Satan, he's in your power, only spare his life. And what did Satan do to Job? He stole his wealth. He killed his children. He destroyed his health. He destroyed his reputation. He exposed the weaknesses of Job's wife. He turned his friends against him. All because of what Satan's impact and influence was in that particular story. I can go to Zechariah, story you may not be familiar with. But there was a high priest by the name of Joshua. And Satan came to accuse before the Lord Joshua as being not fitting for the job. And God clothes Joshua in clothing that says he is forgiven and he belongs to me. I can go to the desert. If you're ever in Israel and you get a chance to go to the wilderness, it's worth going because then you'll understand that Jesus really was way out in the middle of nowhere with absolutely nothing to have to eat or drink during that time frame. But 40 days he was out there and he had three temptations by Satan. They're real. They took place. They, he had to face those and he does it. In Luke 13, 11, there is a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by an evil spirit, was bent double, could not straighten it up. Jesus freed her from it. Said he, she was, he then said she was bound by Satan for 18 years and he then was able to free her. We know what Satan did with Peter when he demanded to sift him. Here's a good man willing to stand to face whatever may come. And he told Jesus, I'll be there for you the whole way. But he told, Jesus told him, you'll be sifted by Satan. And a little servant girl scares the old fisherman to the point that he denies Christ. That's the impact that Satan had on that particular night. Go to the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And you know, Barnabas had given a great gift to the church. Ananias tried to mimic that and do it, but keep money back. And in doing that, he said, Peter said Satan was impacting him. It did his wife the same way. Why did you agree to do this? That was the impact that Satan had. On sexual relationships, we're told, Paul said, this guy who committed this unbelievable sin in 1 Corinthians 5, I've delivered him over to Satan to destroy him. So he had some kind of impact in there. And in the church of Thyatira, it's called the deep things. Immorality is called the deep things of Satan. Paul's ministry dealt with Satan. He said in 1 Thessalonians, I wanted to come to you. More than once, I tried to come to Thessalonica, but I could not get there. Why? Satan hindered me from coming. Paul couldn't stop what Satan was doing to stop him from being there. So he could not go. That's the impact Satan had through all that was going on in Thessalonica. He then will say to Timothy, I've handed Hymenaeus and Alexander to Satan. They will be taught not to blaspheme. So Paul would turn people over to Satan. I'm not really certain how that works. I have studied, I've thought it through. I'm still not certain, but I know that Paul would do that. And it would lead to pain and suffering for those who had to encounter it. Paul's thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan to torment him. And if you go to the seven churches of Revelation, in Smyrna, they had the synagogue of Satan there. In Pergamum, they had Satan's throne. 
literally. And that could have been a, a very real truth according to archaeologists. And it said Satan dwelled in that city. It was a very evil time frame there. Philadelphia, one of the good churches, synagogue of Satan was there. I've just pulled some of those out. I know for most of us, we just go on in our lives and we don't think a whole lot about all the stuff that's out there. But this stuff's real and it's happened. It's recorded in scripture and you and I need to be aware of it. So Satan works in this way. Deception, destruction, tempts us to disobey the Lord. He puts scary scenarios around us like he does with Peter on when he, dis- when he uh, denies Christ. He causes havoc when we disobey him when it comes to matters of morality. He thwarts some of our plans. He destroys the disobedient. He misleads the lonely. And he persecutes the church through politics and other religions. Those kind of things are real. And he does all of this while disguised as an angel of light. We're told we need to be aware of this. We do not need to be scared of this, but we need to be aware of all of this. I think if you want to learn more from this, you need to get a book. Read your Bible, but there's a book I love. And it was written by C.S. Lewis and dedicated to Tolkien. In fact, you're shaking your head. You and I had this conversation the other day when we were doing walk the streets. I mean, walk, not walk the streets, for the city. I felt like I was walking the streets. <laughs> it's called the Screw Tape Letters. And I, I, I'm always amazed at some authors. You know, a lot of books I read, by the time you get a few pages into it, you already know what they're going to say. There's not a lot of new stuff out there. But C.S. Lewis, what he would do was, he would go to the Eagle and Child. It's, it's a pub. I have been there. I have sat at his table. I sat there for about 15 minutes hoping it would soak in whatever it was that happened at that table. It's still there. It's still open. And uh, the Inklings would meet there. They did it for 30 years. And they would discuss this. And they would go over and over, Tolkien, and along with about three or four others. And they would go over and over. But he came up with one of the most insightful things. And so if you want to understand more about the impact and how Satan can work, he really understood this. C.S. Lewis nails this in everything that he does. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Whether you understand it or not, you need to be aware of it, and you need to be alert. You need to be sober, as Peter will say, and you need to stand firm, and you need to resist against any of this stuff that comes against you. But I want to add more to it because a lot of times when this stuff happens around us, we don't always react the way we ought to. So I want to remind you of something. There's more to the world than what we see each day. You and I see by sight, but there's much more going on around us than we'll ever know. Paul uses a phrase here in verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is a very common term in the New Testament. Paul's going to tell the church at Galatia that he did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. When he came to Christ, he didn't sit down with some of the great men and learn what he needed to know about Christianity. He went away and, and the Lord taught him during that time frame. He told the church at Corinth later on, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said this, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. He's at Caesarea Philippi showing him the cave there, which is called the gates of hell. So flesh and blood has to do with people. And for most of us, the struggle is against flesh and blood. It's not supposed to be. But I pastored too long, and I've seen a lot. A lot of our struggles ends up against each other. There's always a face to every situation in our lives. We live by sight most of the time, and so we blame everyone for all that is wrong with our lives. 
But I'm here to remind you, it's not our job to fight each other. It's one of the worst things we could ever do. Even our enemies. I will tell you that at the funeral, as I was speaking, the guy who hated me the most when I became pastor at Village Parkway, who made my life miserable for five years, was sitting on the back. He's an elderly gentleman with a cane, barely gets around. He came up to me and put his arm around me and said, Steve, I miss you. I wish you were back. Thank you. I had tears in my eyes. He'd become my buddy about 15 years ago because I made a decision early in my days at Village Parkway. I'm not fighting him. He can throw all of his punches. I'm going to do like Muhammad Ali did against, I believe, George Foreman when he did the rope-a-dope. Just take hit after hit after hit until he won. In a sense, I won. I won a friend. See, too often our flesh and blood battles are real. Family can be friends. It can be church members. The battle's not there. There is evil influences around that affects every one of us. And sometimes we let all that get in the way. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In fact, Paul says this. We walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of, for, of, of fortresses. So you've got to know something. We don't, we don't fight back. We don't use anger. We don't use attacks with words. They're, they're never to be a part of what we're doing. But you've got to know something. This struggle is so real that we've got to work at this all the rest of our lives. When Paul says there in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against rulers, against powers, world forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Guys, there is something out there that you and I cannot see that is so real. It's as real as me sitting here looking out across the congregation and seeing you. I cannot see it with my physical eyes, but by faith I know that what God says is true. We have stories throughout the entire Bible that give glimpses into all of this at times, but it is real. Paul says this, I made, Jesus was made above all rulers, authorities, and powers and dominions. He'll later say in Ephesians this, he made known to the churches, to the rulers and authorities in heaven. Through the church, God is revealing to those authorities that we cannot see, those rulers we cannot see. He is revealing what he's doing and what he's doing through the church. We're one of the great messengers on the face of the earth to the world, whatever's up there, that God is at work. These principalities, go to Daniel. Read what Daniel says. You'll be fascinated by it. The prince of the kingdom of Persia and Michael. There was a battle going on between Michael the archangel, one of the seven maybe archangels in heaven, and the prince of Persia. Later on, he's going to go against the prince of Greece. And I can go into Deuteronomy 32, and it says that when God separated and scattered the people across the world, he made nations, and he put the sons of God in charge of each nation. It's in Deuteronomy 32. I don't fully grasp nor understand all that's there, but there are rulers and authorities over us that we cannot even see. There, there's world forces of darkness. There are the false gods of the day. There's spiritual forces of wickedness. You and I see it. We don't see the spiritual part of it, but we see the evidence all around us. And I want to remind you of something. I love what Paul says in Colossians. 
He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. We were a part of this. We didn't even know we were a part of this. What makes our salvation so stunning and unbelievable is what God brought us out of and put us in. When he said in the first chapter of Ephesians 1 that you're the most blessed person in all the world, you are. You have Christ in you. You have the hope of glory. My friend G.W., they said even on his last days, he was still singing, and he was singing, I can only imagine. I mean, that's why that song was so powerful. He was ready to go home. Tough two-year battle of cancer. A chief master sergeant, those are tough men. If you're a chief, if any of you are chiefs, you know what that's about. As tough a man as I've ever met, but the kindest and sweetest heart. I didn't know chiefs could be that nice, ever, but he was. But it's real. You and I have been given the greatest gift in all the world. When we come on Sunday morning, you know why we sing? It's not an order of worship. Do you know why you sing? You sing for joy. You understand what God's done for you in Christ, and it's real. GW's wife, Linda, told me she's very frail now. GW was always real strong, but she's been very frail. She's got some very serious health issues. She said, Steve, they tell me that when GW came to Christ, the change was radical. And I'll tell you what, in our 60 years of marriage, I only saw the good side always. Home, church, work. GW was the same always. And his appreciation for his salvation in Christ, Steve, was real. It was, you preach it, but he lived it every single day. Guys, we have been given the greatest gift, so let's not fight each other. For we've all been saved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And we learned through our pregnancy center that when you bring in ladies whose lives have been impacted by evil and some of the worst evil you could ever imagine in life, that if you show them love and share them the gospel, you can change and impact their lives and bring them out of it. So even then, we, would, we don't fight them. Our center had a sign in the back that said, no judgments, love everybody. No judgments, love everybody, because we don't war the way the world does through anger and lies and everything else. We do it through the gospel of who Jesus Christ is, the impact it has, and the impact it can have on everyone else. But it does not deny the fact that the struggle is real, which leads to my last point. That word struggle means to wrestle. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. <clears throat> you remember what Paul told Timothy? Son, fight a good fight. He says later to him in that first Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And then he said this, I fought the good fight. Life is a struggle. It is wrestling. You know what I loved about it? I'm not a wrestler. I, I, I'm, I would be terrible at it. I've tried it. It's real wrestling. I'm not talking the TV wrestling where they throw chairs at each other and jump off the ropes. I went to the University of Texas. I'm in the dorm one day and, and Barry Kravitz was the state champion of Connecticut in wrestling. He's about five foot six, five seven, about 135, 140 pounds. Larry Goins was about six two, weighed about 245, and was just a brick, solid as can be. He began to mock this little state champion. He said, You're not any good. They're on. So we started a wrestling match. Larry went against Barry. Before 30 seconds had passed, Larry is begging for mercy. 
I, and I wrestled with Barry. I was stunned. I, I would just try to use my big size against him. He would use it against me. You know what? We have to wrestle, but we have the power and authority to be able to wrestle against anything. And guys, we win. We always win. Even when it looks like we've lost, we've won. But it's worth the fight. And may I state that when we get these moments in life, how do we prepare for it? By what you're doing today. You've literally been doing that today. You've sat in Bible studies. You've been around Christian friends. You've been singing. You're in a worship service. I'm trying to challenge you from the truths of God's word. You're putting all that together in your mind. That's part of your training. And then you go out with diligence and perseverance and you live this every single day here in Greenville. Every day you go out and you just do that and you begin to build up the stamina and strength. We start football tomorrow and we're back on the field for all summer long. What we're doing is now getting them ready because come October, November, when they're beginning to hurt because of the hits, they're going to need the strength. They're going to need the stamina to be able to get in there in the fourth quarter and fight and stay with it and not get run over. You don't prepare a day before a game. You prepare weeks, months before anything. So you and I are to be in training so that we can struggle. We can fight the good fight. Now I'll remind you of something though. Even, and I'll get into it later, but when you put on the full armor of God, you know why you do that? Because you're going to get hit and you're going to get hurt. Do not underestimate, but when you have on the full armor of God that you'll not be hurt by life. When you put on the football pads and the helmets and the shoulder pads and you guys out there who do this, you know you get out in the game and you start playing. Those pads help. I played rugby in college. I played football in high school. I, you got to be stupid to play rugby. Get the pads on. They help. But they don't stop you from getting hurt. You still feel the sting. You still feel the brunt of the impact. It's real. Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes people do things to you that hurts, but we do not react wrong to that. And then know this, you don't quit when it hurts. You don't quit when it hurts. You take a deep breath. You get back up. Why? Christ in me. You know, last week I referred to a couple of movies. Let me refer to another one. You've seen the movie Unbroken? There's a scene in Unbroken that is stunning to me. It's, it's uh, Louis Zimbarini. One of the fastest men in the world in the 30s and went to the Olympics. He later became a POW for the Japanese during the war in the Pacific. The man by the name of Bird, Japanese officer, immediately recognized who he was and began to mock him. And you've, if you've seen the movie, put him through the worst things you can ever imagine. But there's one scene I will never forget. Because I've, I've, I've worked with railroad ties. He made him, you remember in the movie, he made him take that railroad tie and hold it above his head. He'd been a POW, so he's weak. He is not strong anymore. He is thin. He's lost much of what he's had, and he has to hold it. And the bird said that when his hands drop it, kill him. And Louis stood there and held it. Every strain of everything he had he held it. How do you do that? Well, he had a fortitude that made him a great athlete, but you and I have something better. We have Christ. Do not underestimate Christ with you and what that means. And I know life sometimes gets hard. I know sometimes 
The struggle against evil sometimes can be very, very difficult. And sometimes evil hits us and it happens to us. My soldiers had evil happen to them. to the kind that would give them nightmares at night. Things they could never quite get washed away out of their minds. But what I came to learn from them was this. You and I are not defined by the evil that happens to us unless you let it. You and I are never defined by whatever evil happened to us. Most people, the rest of their lives are defined by the evil that hit them. And they almost dwell in it all the time. I learned from my soldiers, get up, love your family, live life. They're not defined by the evil they went through. You and I are not to be defined. We struggle against it. It may have impact and influence on us, but we get up because you know what? We're going to bring God glory and honor. We're going to bring him the joy to his heart when he sees his children do good and are are walking through life right. We're going to stand firm no matter what happens. And the struggle's worthwhile. Kind of wrap down with this. My first sermon I ever preached was in Bonita, Texas. I'm still not even certain where it is. I know it's somewhere northwest of Fort Worth. A friend of mine was pastor there. It was his first church. He called and said, would you come out and preach? I, I, I was a banquet entertainer at the time. Uh, and he said, would you come out and do our banquet and then stay and preach on Sunday? And I said, I'd be glad to. And it was my first sermon apart from my home church in Orange. And you know, your home church, when you preach for the first time at your home church, they all come up after and say, son, you did so well. You did well. You should have quit about 15 minutes earlier, but you did well. And you know, those kind of things, you know, they pat you on the back. You're their little kid coming up. They want you to do well, but you step into another place. And if you don't do well, they're going to let you know too. And so I go there and I preach and I preach. I don't know why I would, I pick this passage, but I pick second Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 through 18. For momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all description. And I was always amazed by that. How does Paul say momentary light with all he went through? Momentary light afflictions are producing us an eternal weight of glory. What's the eternal weight of glory? I can only speculate or do as I heard at the funeral. I can only imagine. But what God has in store for each and every one of us the evil that you may have faced in your life or you may face in your life, the difficulties of, of, of Satan and all his deceptions and lies will seem like momentary and light when we get to heaven. They told me GW had a tough last two-year battle with cancer. Very difficult. It was colon cancer, so you can imagine what he was going through. And his daughter said yesterday, she was a lawyer in Chicago, she said, my dad is okay today. He's with Christ. And he would tell us that his two-year struggle was okay because now he is with him. Guys, if I don't have any other impact through this series but this, you're blessed. Life gets tough sometimes, but the blessings cannot be taken away. Christ does not abandon us. Didn't, I thought when we were singing a moment ago, I didn't write it. I was going to write it down. I didn't. One of the songs, you said, he is faithful. God has always been faithful to each and every one of us. As I was finishing my part at the funeral yesterday, I glanced across. We had a good crowd there. The auditorium there is about as big as this one is, maybe bigger. And I'm sitting there 
looking across. There's John Taylor. There's Lee Fikes. That's it. From the guys I started with 30 years ago, they're it. Afterwards, we're standing there because everybody has gone on. There's a whole new church there. It's still a good-sized church and everything, but it's not the ones I started with. They're gone. They're in heaven. But we all were standing afterwards. And we reminisced a little bit. And old John Taylor, Navy man, said, isn't our God been good to us? Did we not have fun together, all of us, for these 30 years of serving our Lord? I didn't show tears because these are military guys. They don't like tears. But I could have, and I'm not one who cries. But would you look back on your life, and many of you can join me on this. Has not our God been faithful? Through the thick and the thin of life, through the evil that is real out there sometimes, I don't know if life gets easier. I think it may get a little more difficult for us in the days ahead. I went to a briefing Friday night, and I will not tell you the briefing that I got from some military people, but it was crazy. And if I told you what I heard, you'd think, that's the most wacko preacher I ever met in my life, but I did not bring it up, they did. I just listened, and the reason they briefed me is they want me to write a book when this happens so that I can tell Christians how to survive through it. So I said, well, I hope you guys are crazy and totally wrong. But I do know one thing, I told them. My God's in control no matter what you tell me. My God's on his throne, and nobody can thwart what my God's doing. So whether we face thick or thin in the days ahead, or we have to come back and life is like it was when everything seems so neat and, and rosy and everything else, I know this much, my God will be with me, I'm going to walk with him, and you and I are going to stand firm together. Because we've been given the greatest gift you could ever be given. We have Jesus. Though the world may buck it, we know it's true. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. And thank you for reminding us that it is tough out there sometimes, and it is a struggle. It is a fight. Nothing comes easy in life. Sometimes we're not even certain we can go another step. Even when we think we're clothed in the armor of God, sometimes the hits hurt. But yet you never forsake us. You never leave us. You're always there giving us the strength. It's the kind of strength that's even greater than what Louis had when he was holding that railroad tie above his head so he would not be killed. We have even greater strength. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So continue your good work in and through all who are here who confess Jesus as Lord. And if there's someone here today who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they've never made that decision. Open their eyes to see that the greatest answer to life is found in Christ. Now you be glorified as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.